0: Welcome to this edition of the ASHA podcast. I'm Fred Wine, Director of Communications with the American Sexual Health Association, ASHA. We have a fair number of resources designed to facilitate communication around sexual health because we want patients to have better sexual health conversations with their health care providers, and we want lovers who have been pinged by Cupid to talk about sex, pleasure, boundaries, contraception, and all that. Uh, We also want parents to be more relaxed and more willing to discuss sex with their kids and for educators to do a better job with their students. And that's a lot. But fortunately, today we have an expert who's dropping by to help us sort it all out. We're going to talk with Jane Epstein, who's a nurse practitioner specializing in adolescent medicine and who works at the University of New Mexico, Go Lobos. We first got to know Ms. Epstein through a compelling TED Talk video in which she makes the case that one area where we're sadly lacking in these sexual health communications is in how we talk to girls about sex. And she ought to know. A graduate of Yale, Ms. Epstein is a clinician who sees teenagers at a high school-based health clinic where as part of a comprehensive health care she provides sexual health care, including contraception services to teens. So, Jane Epstein, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks. Oh, absolutely. So before I ask you how we should talk to girls about sex, I want to chat about what we currently are saying when we talk to girls about sex in mid-sex ed classes or even at home. So let's play stump the dummy, and we'll see how much or little I know here. I'm guessing we talk to girls about their periods, pregnancy, uh, so a good bit about contraception, maybe a dash of STIs and HIV added to the mix and a general primer on anatomy. How close am I? Pretty close.
1: Um, Sex ed curricula vary enormously. And so it's hard to say what exactly is being taught. I mean, classes vary even by teacher within one school, despite the fact that there are statewide standards in every state. So, Some curricula still stress abstinence only, and they're narrow in scope and um, sort of infamous for giving misinformation. Mm -hmm. Others are what we call comprehensive, which means they discuss birth control, and they may go into LGBTQ issues and relationships. But for me, I wonder, what is the the uber message that we want teens to absorb, especially girls. And here's my wish list for sex ed, both um, in classes and from society and from the home, that they learn that consensual sexual activity is a healthy and pleasurable part of life not just something that might make you pregnant when you don't want to be, or is going to give you STDs, that they're taught acceptance and tolerance of others. There's a huge range of sexual and gender behavior, desire, expression, orientation, etc. I hope that they learn that communication about sex is paramount. You know, we talk about communication about consent in birth control, but also, we need to to stress communication about sex, about the actual sex. And one more, I hope that girls feel empowered around their sexuality, that they find their voice within their sexuality.
0: Let's spend a little time on pleasure, which is something that was not on the list I rattled off and certainly nothing that we talked about, as I recall from my own sex ed classes. Um, First off, at what age should we start talking about desire and pleasure and orgasm?
1: Good question. Um, I think like most education on sex, talk about pleasure needs to start early and be age appropriate. So what does that look like? Well, if you have the four-year-old coming to you and asking where do babies come from, you're going to introduce the topic of sex and that it's sex that uh, is for making babies. But we can also say that sex is also something that is fun and feels good to adults in a relationship. Very simple concept of pleasure. Um, By fifth grade, usually most students are getting some kind of basic sex ed. Now for boys, they are talking about erections and wet dreams that's the organ and the orgasm right but for girls they generally learn about their periods so what if girls learned about their clitoris and sexual functioning that's a big question there and for me i think that it might help them start exploring their bodies and getting to know their bodies better
0: so so, I'm I'm sorry I, I didn't mean to cut you off I was just going to say my next question was going to be so what about masturbation but perhaps you were going there so please continue.
1: Yeah and and masturbation is almost a whole another topic but um so but you know when kids get to be teenagers that's when the topic of pleasure really needs to be talked about with them. Um, And this is the time to seize the opportunity to talk to your daughters and your sons. Um, Fortunately, we have lots of opportunity. We can use the examples that are on television, in movies, on the media. And it's a time when parents can bring up the issues that they're seeing um, and ask about or talk about consent communication, coercion, reciprocity, control, all these things that we see that are so subtle within a relationship that's being portrayed on a movie, for instance.
0: So how do we frame pleasure? Is it something uh, that's merely, merely good and desirable? Do we really push it out there as a right, something that you should really you know, robustly claim?
1: That is a really good question, um, but let me back up for a minute, Fred, and, and, and talk about why I feel so strongly about this topic of pleasure and sexual empowerment for girls. So I'm, I'm a nurse practitioner, as you said, and I provide health care for a lot of sexually active girls who are 14 up to 18 years old from all walks of life, sexual orientations, etc. Some girls do great with sex. You know, they they are in control of their choices and making good choices. But especially the heterosexually active girls that I see, there's a fair number who have sex to please their male partner or because they think they're supposed to like it, but they don't. And some have been having sex for years. And so for me, I wonder... When and how is sex ever going to get better for them? So in, in my experience, and I'm not a researcher, I'm just a clinician, but in my anecdotal experience, the girls who don't feel empowered around sex have riskier sex. And it makes sense, right? So they've been told by society that sex is great, but that's not their experience. And they don't know how to talk about that disconnect there's a certain amount of shame that comes in there and it shuts down their voice. So they're less likely to speak up for themselves, they're less likely to ask a partner to use a condom, and they're more likely to yield when pressured to have sex. So for me, sexual empowerment for girls is helping them to find a voice in their sexual relationship helping them feel healthy and good about themselves. Mm. And you'd be surprised, but empowerment in other aspects of their relationships doesn't always translate into their sexual relationship. I see girls who are straight-A students, confident, outspoken, and they have a lot of shame around the fact that they feel so disempowered around sex. And then there's, of course, other girls who are in very coercive relationships who have no voice anywhere in a relationship. My passion for this topic is because I see a lot of disconnect and emotional discomfort around sex that doesn't seem like it's on a path to get better. And again, it isn't all girls, but it's a sizable amount. So empowering the voice of girls in sexual relationships That's the crux of the matter for me. A girl will feel more empowered if she feels like an expert in her organ and orgasm. Mm -hmm. It's empowering to be an active participant in sex and to be able to enjoy sex. So it's not about claiming a right to an orgasm or not. It's about enjoying sex as an active participant with knowledge And a voice. I ask every girl coming in for sexual a sexual health visit if they orgasm with their partner or alone, and I ask it as part of a review of systems, which is just a, a list of questions about the body. The way parents can approach this is, you know, perhaps it would be a mother or another adult female in a girl's life can talk to girls about their bodies, about masturbation, and about sexual pleasure. I mean, we don't want our daughter to be that woman who doesn't have her first orgasm until she's 25 or 30. In fact, I have a friend who gave her daughter a vibrator on her 16th birthday, and I thought that was quite interesting
0: Yeah,
1: and a lovely idea.
0: Well, absolutely. So I'm curious, when, when you ask these girls um, about whether or not they orgasm, what I mean, are they astonished? What kind of reaction do you get?
1: Um, I ask it so matter-of-factly. So, again, I'm doing it as a part of a review system. So I say, do you have any pain when you pee? Do you have any abnormal vaginal discharge? And I describe what that is. Um, any pelvic pain in general? any pain with sex, any orgasm with sex. Oh, have you ever had an orgasm on your own? And, and when they say no, no, then we will start talking about it.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's, that's great. I've never heard of anyone doing that, and it makes perfect sense, and that's a very clever way just slip it in there as part of your other questions. It doesn't make it quite that big a deal.
1: And it generally then leads us to a talk about masturbation. Um, I believe masturbation for girls is really important, and um, I, I even talk to girls about this. And I'll say, look, when when you have sex with your partner, and, and this is again usually heterosexual girls, when you have sex with your male partner, he comes every time you have sex, right? Mm-hmm. Well, guys enter their first coupled sexual relationship having a ton of experience in masturbation. They know all about their penis. They know how it works. They know what the approach to an orgasm feels like. And for a girl who's never masturbated, she enters her first sexual experience not knowing much about her body. And there's an expectation that something magical will happen Mm. (laughs) and that enjoying sex and good sex will happen to them. Um, And often it doesn't. And they are disappointed. They're really disappointed. And they often feel like something's Mm. wrong with them because everybody else likes sex. That's what society says. And they don't know how to talk about that. So the conversation of pleasure is, really vital once a girl is in a sexual relationship. I talk to girls about masturbation and I tell them that it's important for them to learn about their bodies, to to learn about having sex with themselves first. And once they know how their own body works, then they can communicate with their partner. And that concept is almost as foreign sure. as masturbation. <laughs> like I'm going right. to talk to my partner about what I like and what feels good. And, you know, but um, but I try to introduce the idea of communication as sexy. <laughs> and uh, I, I point girls a lot to the website scarlatine.com, who, uh, where there's some good articles on pleasure and masturbation.
0: So, you know, the, the, the partner communication piece um, – that that's striking to me because that's because it's one thing that i think it sounds like the first step is for these girls to really be comfortable with their bodies their sexuality to know what they like what they don't like what works for them but then the next piece would be how do you talk about that with a with a boyfriend or 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 with a girlfriend um and so that was that's like another it sounds like just another opportunity for education something something else we need to develop i mean do you do you have those conversations that that explicitly uh with your patients
1: Yeah, I don't specifically say what they're supposed to say to their partner. But yes, um, there are partners out there who are very interested in helping the girl enjoy sex. But if the girl can't talk to them about what to do, a teenage boy doesn't know much about that girl's body. Um, And it's a tall order. These are teenagers. I totally realize that. But if we um lay down the foundation and the roadmap that's the start of the journey right there
0: you go uh, let's talk a little bit about some about lgbt issues uh, and we've touched on that just lightly. Uh, but again going back to my own sex ed classes we really had no mention of that that i can think of and uh i mean there's a you know there's a lot to a lot to it so I mean, how do, within the context of everything you've talked about, is there anything different that we would say to uh, an LGBT kid? Sure. Um,
1: First off, I think as a, you know, a middle-aged woman um, who didn't hear the word homosexuality in her sex ed class, I have a lot to learn from these kids, and so I ask a lot of questions. They have a lot to teach me. Um, my responsibility is to learn and to learn the lexicon, to to educate myself because the issues aren't new, but talking about it is new. And then there are um, a, a few things to really focus on with the LGBTQ kids. Um, first of all is... Putting their reality um, within a context, so normalizing their reality. And by that I mean to explain that sexuality and gender, this is more important for the, the younger kids, sexuality and gender identity, desire, expression, behavior, they all exist on a continuum. And And what they feel and experience and identify with is part of that uh, normal expression. And giving them the message that basically any sexual behavior is okay if it's mutually consensual. And then it's very important to pay attention to their safety. So um, having the discussion with them, uh, who is it safe to be out with, and and who is not safe? Um, sometimes I see that teens really want to tell people, and some people are just not ready to hear it and and keep that kid safe. Um, we want to ask about their specific behaviors. I have quite a few high school-aged gay males who are going on grinder and hooking up with older men, for instance, and that they're having unprotected anal sex. So I want to know the details of some of their behavior so that I can help keep them safe. We have um, pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV now. So can I get them on those medications or help them think about condom use, et cetera. And then we know that there are higher rates of depression and suicide among LGBTQ youth, and mental health mm-hmm. screening is really important. These, these youths need connection. I mean, all teenagers do and, and more and more in my work, I just see the the value and the healing power of non-judgmental connection and And queer youth need that more than anyone else because they are more alienated within the dominant paradigm of our society. So how can I connect them to people with whom they feel safe and accepted? That might be the GSA, the Gay Student Alliance at school. There are, in our community, um, groups, etc.
0: It does, does make sense? sense. And when I was listening to you talk about um, uh, the uh, gay and bisexual youth and trans youth, have more issues with depression and with suicide Uh, i think i recall reading something not terribly long ago that that they're also uh, more likely to be homeless and have have issues like that and so it seems like there might be i mean while, while this certainly applies to to everyone it seems like that with with this particular population there might be some real infrastructure issues that you really have to think about in terms of like you said like safety and and, and mental health issues and perhaps even homelessness and substance abuse, I would think, would, would perhaps be more prevalent as well. Um, so it's, you know, that just made me think that, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, we, we have, before we, we think about giving dessert, we have to make sure that they've had dinner first, and then you sort of go on to other things. So there's really a, a lot to think about there. Yeah.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, Luckily, more and more, we do have that infrastructure in our communities. And um, so as healthcare providers or allies of these youth, we need to, to
0: um, scope out those resources. So let me finally ask you this. So this the whole context here of our discussion has been that we're doing uh, a less than optimal job in talking with girls about sex. And I would put out there that we're probably not doing all that great a job when it comes down to talking with boys. So I'm curious, do you agree with that? And what do you think maybe we can do to up our game there?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. There's so much room to do better with our boys. Um, so our boys and our girls uh, need porn consumer education. In terms of sex ed, this is a huge need. And I doubt there's yeah. a curricula out there that talks about porn in, a, in an honest and in-depth way. So porn is ubiquitous. Porn is watched, and porn does influence sexual behavior. So how do we help put porn in perspective? How do we help our youth become wise consumers of porn? I'm not even sure I have the answer there, but it's a super important question. I don't think that as adults we're comfortable talking about porn. Um, so, so how do we help our youth yeah. navigate it, right? We have a long way to go here. Um, another area that I identify in the schools um, needing a lot of focus for boys is helping them deal with their feelings. For example, I see a lot of very coercive relationships. I would call them abusive relationships. Boys are controlling. They are going through their girls' phones. They're isolating the girls from their friends because they don't want them going out, et cetera, et cetera. And we give a lot of attention to the girls in those relationships, but not so much to the boys. And, And those are boys who need a lot of help, you know? And so they're having insecurities and jealousies and feeling out of control. And so going to one of those teen boys and saying, Hey, it it sounds like you feel really out of control and worried that your girlfriend will cheat on you. That must be so hard. What's that like for you? And giving them a place to talk about what's going on and, um, and some counseling around, um, Emotional intelligence, I guess I would say. Um, And then I think the other area that we can talk with boys about is just simply lobbing out the question, how do you be a good sexual partner? You know, what's that mean to you? Just asking the question is a great conversation starter and one doesn't usually know where it's going to go. But they have... Uh, they have interesting responses to that. And that kind of leads into the, the issue of consent. Um, so with boys, I'll, I'll often say, you know, consent has, has been in the media a lot lately. It's this big topic of discussion. Right, you've heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me, I, cause I don't really know, like how do you get consent before you have sex with your partner? And, and you know, sometimes I get an answer like, well, I text her and say, do you want to have sex? And she says, yeah, come pick me up. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah got consent. Um, but sometimes they'll say, well, you, you know, you can just tell. And I'll say, well, how can you tell that she wants to have sex? Well, she gives you signs, you know. <laughs> and so we'll go down the path of what it means to actually get consent and, um you know, that that consent is never really can be given if a girl is very
0: intoxicated, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So those are some of the conversations that I think are important. to
0: heartbreak. Well, and I think this is such a broad topic that it's we probably really need to revisit this. So I'm hoping that you, uh, you and I can chat again. Um, um, this has been very illuminating for me. So thank you for your time today. And uh, like I said, I, I hope this is the first of uh, uh couple more because I I think this is this is very timely stuff yeah absolutely and thanks to everyone who downloads and listens to the podcast Uh, we'll have more to come so check back often we are online at ashasexualhealth.org and of course follow us on twitter at infoasha and be our friend on facebook Uh, And and for those of you who downloaded this off of the ASHA website, uh, I I mentioned in the the beginning that uh, Ms. Epstein uh, is featured in a TED Talk video, and so we're going to have a link to that video on this podcast page, so be sure to take a look at that as well. So thank you again, Jane Epstein. Thanks to everybody who checked us out, and until next time, this is Fred Wine for ASHA. So long, everybody.